for Western Sydney. Facundo's ball is it and it's in! And it's Brandon Barello again! As the Western Sydney fans go crazy in the sixth minute of stoppage time. Bernardo Silva arriving, Haaland arriving. Haaland! Oh, it's another classic! It is another miraculous moment. He is just beyond words. He defies description. Devonge's cross, the header, and it's in! And it's Max Caputo! The 17-year-old with his first ever A-League goal. The enormity of what's happening here. Alexander-Arnold! Yes, hello again. Good to have your company once again for the global game. Another big week with the finals looming and the Women's World Cup on the horizon. Here's what's coming up tonight. We'll review a big Easter weekend in the A-League men as Melbourne City close in on a piece of history and the most exciting race for the remaining spots in finals football in years. Perth Glory coach Ruben Zadkovic is with us to look back on his team's hard-earned point in Melbourne and ahead to a huge game against Sydney this weekend. Simon Spiel is back with the question, whether the future of football journalism in Australia? Alicia Carnavas on the Matildas doubleheader against Scotland and England with just 100 days to go before the FIFA Women's World Cup begins. Spencer Pryor on the Premier League as Arsenal stumble and Frank Lampard returns. And Paul Williams on Mohan Bagan's bid to sign Jason Cummings in Football Asia. All to come between now and 11 o'clock on the Global Game right here on SEN. Yeah, good to have you with us this Tuesday night. Two hours of football chat to come. As ever, we've got two prizes to give away, a global game T-shirt from Strip Tees and a double pass to an early game of your choice. So do get involved. Give us a call, 1300 01 1170. Send us a text, 0457 736 736. Or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. A very good evening to the two Alexis Brosk and Molchanov. How are you, boys? Very good, Simon. Nice to be back. Big game coming up for your boys at the weekend, Every game's Bosky. a big game, mate. Yeah, I Sydney thought they did well against Adelaide. There's been some big games across the league, to be honest. Yeah, Very terrific exciting. weekend. Very exciting. Lots of football to chat about. Uh, Alex Molchanov, were you on NPL duty again this weekend? I did an NPL women's game for the first time this season, which was fantastic. Got out okay. to North Taramara Rec area, calling on a hill, one camera. <laughs> it's fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, it were you fun. holding the camera? No. <laughs> right. Although that has been known to happen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's good fun. No, really good fun. Brilliant. All right, let's get into it then with Starter for Five. Question one, Alex Brosk. Melbourne City about to close in on their third consecutive premiership. Finishing first is the true test, or no, the grand final winner is the nation's best. Uh, no, the grand final winner is not always uh, the best team, in my opinion. Um, not oh, just is this going back opinion. to seventeen eighteen now? Is it? No, no, no. <laughs> I think just that's how it is. You know, yeah. even 
hold on. Was that the year that we lost? Yeah. Because <laughs> well, no, I said it the year after when we beat Perth uh, right. in the grand final there. Fair I thought enough. that they were the best team all year. Yeah. Um, and in the end, we, we uh, got the grand final medals. But uh, no, uh, that's just Australian sport, right? We, we, we want a grand final. We want the, you know. Um, the grand final and, and everything that comes with it. But for me, it's not it's not the best team now. Yeah. Everywhere in Australia. But, Alex Molchanov, the MPL in New South Wales. They've gone the other way. First time this year. How's that going? Well, we've got a title race, yeah. which is a good start. Uh, Rockdale-Ellendon, after losing their opening, one of their opening games, 6-1, top. Um, and Arpia close in pursuit. So it should be fun. Okay. Yeah. And a relegation battle down the exactly. bottom, of course. Uh, question two, we'll step with you, Mulchi. Uh, the Matildas lost to Scotland. The team will struggle at the World Cup if there's any absence of big names. Or take a chill pill. These are just warm-up games. Well, these were whole-scale changes. There's not yeah. one or two players out. This was without the entire front line. So scoring goals is always going to be a bit different. I think Tony Gustafsson probably has a clearer idea of who he will and won't be taking. Um, when that big decision comes around very, very soon. Uh, can you see Remy Seamson come into the squad yes. after missing out um, with a couple of players leaving early? So that'll be interesting to see if she gets any game time. But um, certainly there's a few options for Tony to consider there. I don't think yeah. we're in big trouble, Simon. In- I, I interesting to right. see if uh, Sam Kerr starts in the morning against mm. England. Mm. Mysteriously She left wants out. to, apparently, yeah. is the word. Good. Mm. <laughs> uh, so. Question three. Alex Bross, the late drama at Amy Park on Sunday. It was an infringement on Leighton Brooks for me, or there was no foul by Jordan Elsie that I could see. Um, look, I think it's a penalty. Yeah. I think he definitely kicks out, um, and, and we'll ask uh, Ruben Zatkovic on, on his thoughts on it later. <laughs> but I, I definitely thought, and the more you look at it as well, he, he, he obviously goes to ground and blocks the initial shot, and then because he's on the ground... I don't know if he's trying to get the ball. He lunges that leg out and, and he brings him down. For I have to say, I thought it looked a penalty. Yeah. yeah. Are you the same view, yeah, Balchi? I agree. Yeah. If there's contact there, penalty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question four, Alex Molchanov. Four points separating sixth from twelfth with three games to go. Justification for having a finals featuring the top six? Or no, there's just no way that some of these clubs should be in the mix. If we had relegation, my answer would be different. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is we've got to keep there being some sort of jeopardy until the end of the season. The best way to do that is having half the half the competition make the finals. So yeah. I have no problem with a top six. I would even expand it to a top eight. Um, once we go to 14, I know that's probably not a popular opinion, but I think you have to do that to keep interest because there's yeah. no penalty otherwise. So I'm, I'm happy to have the carrot there until we until we have the stick, if there's a Correct. better way to put it. No, I think that's a very a good very explanation good. Yeah. of it, yeah. to be honest. And had we gone down the MPL New South Wales system this season, mm. then... Again, the jeopardy's just gone. Yeah. yeah. You'd have seven or eight clubs basically playing for nothing, wouldn't mm. you? Uh, question five, Broski. The Johnny Warren medalist. Craig Goodwin for me. That's me, as in my opinion. Who's okay. your top three? Um, oh, top, look, he's he's definitely up there. I, I'd say Leckie, obviously, as well. He hasn't played in a little while, but yeah. he's definitely another one who's had an incredible season. Uh, Brandon Borello, hard to go past him Very and, and what he's done. I Very mean, good. He was great on the wing. He's been even better, um, you know, since his move into, into the number nine position. Um, and Joe Lolly as well in a... Um, you know, team that probably hasn't done as well uh, as the others, but mm. probably those four, I'd say. Okay, interesting. Any others to add to that, Mulchi? I think they're the main three there. Uh, uh, Jamie McLaren, maybe the other, but 
just because of the goal scoring record. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Um, but no, I'd have Goodwin on top as well. He's You're right. If, if it was anyone else, um, we, we probably would be talking about it. Yeah. But the fact that he does it every year, it's become normal, right? <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. which is not Jamie's fault. He's just, too, he's yeah, just too good at scoring goals. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, we've had a text in from Nathan, our text line, of course, as per usual, 0457 736 736. A uh, bit of a long text, but uh, thanks for getting in touch, Nathan. And he says he went to the Ballarat game on Friday. And he's got a few questions. Uh, first of all, why didn't Garan Quall stay with the Mariners until the end of the season? Wouldn't it be better than to go to Hearts in the middle of the season? I to be honest, I mean, that's Newcastle's prerogative, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. they've signed him. And he, he is playing. I know he's not starting games. But he's getting some minutes for, for Hearts, who've just sucked their manager, incidentally, Robbie Nielsen. I, I think regardless of when he went, there was always going to be that period of, of, you know, coming off the bench and finding his feet. So whether it was now, whether it was, you know, heading into next season, it was always going to happen. So the fact, you know, I, I don't think there's any issue with him having gone. Okay. No, I'm of a similar view. Uh, a second question. Does anybody know why Western United haven't been playing in Geelong? Not just this season, but I think they didn't play there much last season either couple maybe no. last season I, I don't know why that's uh, I mean to be honest that stadium so it's a beautiful stadium but it's not a football stadium it's too big for yeah. them mm. um, so whether there's some sort of financial issue with them hiring it or they don't want them I've just got no idea to be honest uh, third part of the question we'll try and find out for you though Nathan uh, third part of the question I go to Western United games at Ballarat all the time as I live there but I support another club uh, but they never warm up in front of their active support, which I find strange, especially for a club trying to build support. Well, to be fair, I mean, they're so far away at Ballarat, I'm surprised they can <laughs> see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that does sound a little bit strange. I wonder if they come and they, – they must come and thank them at the end. Is that so? He, but he's talking about the warm-up, right? I, I, yeah. I don't know that clubs ever um... – but you'd go over, if you're warming up, would you go over to the cove and give them a clap no, as you're warming up? No. no, I mean, if I heard them chanting my name, yeah, yeah of course, you acknowledge and you, and you wave and clap, whatever, but otherwise, no. no. Okay. Nathan, can you clarify, are you talking about pre-game? Are you talking or about them being yeah. in the right half of the field? Because well, I know Sydney FC are always that side, or talking yeah. about the subs, which is a bit harder because they're bound by the FIFA statutes when they have to be in a certain area yeah. when they're doing warm-ups. Okay. Um, thanks for your questions, though, Nathan. Interesting ones. And we will try and find out why Western haven't been playing in uh, Geelong. Don't know what the answer is, but we'll try and find out what it is. Uh, this one from Mr. Cucumber. He's back. All right. <laughs> oh, my God, he says, I missed the global game last week. I've let the team, team down. You have. <laughs> Yellow card for you. Uh, a question. Should the A-League, this is the men's competition, consider a friendly off-season series with MLS teams? Broski? Any thoughts? I like we used to have a Pan Pacific tournament, didn't we? Uh, Remember well, that? Yeah, it happened once, I think. Um, <laughs> did you play in a, that? I definitely did. It was a fantastic tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but not for football no, reasons, I take it. Definitely not for football, no. Um, but, yeah, I think because we got knocked out in the semi-final um, against the Jets and, and whoever finished, whoever got knocked out first ended up going to Hawaii to play in that uh, oh, Pan Pacific tournament. That's tough. Yeah, I got sent off in that semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously not wanting to go to Hawaii, but it just so happened that we, oh, <laughs> that we did. But look, I, I, I don't know how it works with the MLS and the A-League um, in well, terms of their, their season. Their season <clears throat> excuse me, finishes in, I think, November or December, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, right. The so, MLS, yeah. and they start again in February, March time. So how that might you, be a little bit awkward. It would be. It yeah. would be. 
Interesting. But look, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, it did happen back in the day. Obviously, we had LA Galaxy come out mm. famously with David Beckham. You played in that game, I think, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did play that. You got his shirt? Scored, scored, scored two goals. Scored oh, yeah, two you goals. did. Of course yeah. you did. Yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> I mean, for your memory. Uh, oh, I didn't call you that one. You forgot that one. I didn't you? call that one. Uh, did you get Beckham's shirt? No, I didn't. I can't remember who did. I think Janinho was playing, so he... All oh, right. Do you, want a, do you want a fact it. about that game? I was one of the kids who walked out holding hands with the players as they came out onto or the us. pitch. No, I was with uh, Chris Klein, I think, from right. LA Galaxy. He was Chris a Klein. ball-winning <laughs> midfielder. <laughs> yeah. Chris Klein. Mm. Um, nice. I'll give you another fact. I actually did David Beckham's press conference that year. That's really? Right. Yeah, when he landed in um, Australia. He was very jet-lagged, didn't say too much. <laughs> nice fellow, though. Anyway, we digress. Um, keep those texts coming in, 0457 736 736, or uh, send a tweet at Global Game SEN. Uh, we're heading off for our first quick break. On the other side of it, we will review round 23 of the A-League men. Back soon. Time for our A-League review. Thanks to Keep Up. Download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new A-Leagues All Access this week on Keep Up. Everything you need to know ahead of the A-League Women's Finals kicking off this weekend. All the reaction to another big weekend in the men's competition and the build-up to the Matildas Clash with the Lionesses tomorrow morning. That's all available at keepup.com.au and, of course, the Keep Up app. Uh, Broski, let's kick off our weekend review with uh, the game on Friday. Good Friday. Western United nil, Central Coast Mariners three. Uh, Western's still in the finals race, just about, but uh, again, they've had a wobble and they just got caught on the break for for two of the three goals. But uh, credit to the Mariners. The first time they've won in Victoria since, I think, 2014-15. Wow. That's 28 like, matches. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Well, look, it's a good little psychological um, hurdle that they've sort of overcome and, and even just getting back-to-back wins, uh, something they haven't done in a, in a little while. And to do it as emphatically in the end as, as they did, uh, leading into the finals is, is what they needed, I think. You know, we've seen them go through incredible form throughout the season. They dropped off and was somewhat inconsistent in recent weeks. But, um, yeah, back-to-back wins. They seem to be rolling now and, and got that sort of attacking flow. I know he had a lot of suspensions, Monty, and, and injuries and things that were meant he was chopping and changing a little bit that attacking lineup. But, um, yeah, no, they look a, a lot better now and, um, yeah, getting into good form, heading into the finals. Can Western make the finals? I mean, their last three games, Adelaide away, Melbourne City home, and then a trip to Perth? No. No. I don't think so, no. I think they had their run and they needed to keep it going. Um, and at home against the Mariners to lose 3-0, it just leaves them with, with way too much to do, I think. Okay. Uh, Adelaide All Square with Sydney FC. Good game, this one. Great crowd, over 14,000. That's the best little football stadium in Australia, in my opinion. Uh, another goal for Craig Goodwin, but uh, Adam LaFondra with what turned out to be a crucial goal in the 83rd minute on his return uh, from injury, Adelaide still with that long unbeaten run, but that's an important point for Sydney. Everybody keeps threatening to take sixth place, sixth place off them, but nobody's quite been able to do it as yet, have they? No, they haven't. And and I mean, Sydney's been giving every opportunity. I mean, they've been hanging on to that spot. And if you look at the last, what since that Melbourne victory game, they the last four games they've taken two <laughs> points, and and still no one has been able to jump them. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, Sydney, in the end, they do hang on to it. I think they've got, you know, of all the teams chasing in that pack, they've got the best run home um, and they should have enough quality to to sneak into the six. But, 
You're right. I mean, it was a strange game. You know, Adelaide, I think, um, you know, Sydney held out and it looked like they were just holding out without Adelaide creating all that much. They had a few chances, um, you know, one cleared off the line uh, that Rodwell that Rodwell cleared. And um, mm. when Goodwin scored, it just seemed like Adelaide were going to come. But, I mean, the opposite happened. Uh, Sydney sort of went into a, another gear and they started to create chances and, and picked, a, picked up a lot of momentum towards the back end. Lafondra got what I thought was a deserved equaliser. But, um, you know, Carl Viet was upset with with the the performance. I think it was one that they um, probably a good one to have. You know, the the fact that he's upset, you know, and still taking taking a point, you know, and that was something that he mentioned in his post game uh, chat with us. That you know, even though they they didn't play well and they were quite flat, which he wasn't happy about, given the crowd, it was a sellout from from what yep. we heard, which was fantastic. Um, he expected more in terms of performance, which he didn't get, but still took a point. So I think that that keeps them in a good way. And Sydney, I mean, they're hanging on, right? They're, they're doing enough at the moment to be to be holding on to that sixth spot, but they need really to take some serious momentum. I think with Rodwell there, um, it, it gives them a bit more stability. They look a lot better a team in defence when he's there. Um, but they just need to, I don't know, find find a bit more in these last three games if they're, if they're to have any chance of doing anything in the finals. Massive game they've got this weekend at home to Perth uh, and then Sydney go to Brisbane and then they've got Newcastle at home to round off. Uh, talking about Newcastle, um, they went to Brisbane and came back with their tails between their legs on the back of a 3-0 defeat. Uh, Brisbane putting their name back in the finals uh, shake-up with their best performance, I guess you'd say, on to date under Nick Green. Uh, goals from Henry Hoare, Jay O'Shea from the spot, and Stefan Shepovic, more than enough for the three points. Brisbane's run in, though. What about their chances, Broski? Wellington away, Sydney at home, and victory away. And then I'll get your thoughts on the Jets. I, again, I, I just think that the opportunity has been there for, for a lot of these clubs, and they just haven't taken them. And, and the incon- inconsistencies with all these clubs at the moment. You look at, you know, from 7 to 12. You know, obviously none of them have a winning record for starters, but it's just, I mean, Brisbane, six wins, eight draws, nine losses. It's hard to see any of them winning three games in a row, which I think they're going to have to do, or, or even seven points at most. Um, I just can't see any of them doing that. To be fair, mathematically, they all have a chance, right? And if someone does put of in course. a good, you know, run of form, but looking off their form and, and, and the history of the competition so far this year, nobody's been able to do that. None of those seven te- uh, five teams, six teams in the in the bottom half have been able to put on a good run. So the Raw, I mean, that was, you're right, a, a very good performance. Um, I mean, I'm not having the, the penalty um, at all. I thought that was incredibly soft, but regardless, you know, whether the penalty mm. is is um, is scored or not, they still did more than enough to win. And, and the Jets, um, yeah, they had a, a brief little little run of form in, um, you know, end of January, early February. But uh, just, look, I think Brendan O'Neill was brought in. Uh, Piscopo was brought in to add some real quality to, to that team. They've only played 14 or 15 games um, each and just haven't been able to gel into that team uh, as well as they would have liked. And, look, that, that's just one of many reasons, you know. In, in 10 games that they've played, sorry, 12 games, They've conceded the first goal this season. Ten of them they've lost. Mm-hmm. 
So there's just a real lack of, um, you know, character in some way, togetherness. You know, they go a goal, behind, uh, a goal behind and that's game over. You know, there needs to be a bit more from your team if you're wanting to, or, to or play is it, finals. Or is it also a, a bit of a lack of quality in terms of uh, in front of goal? I mean, Beckham Mikkel Tadzer has not had the service that he had last year on, mm. with Daniel Pena, that's for sure. And you mentioned one of the reasons for that, Renaud Piscopo has not been, you know, fit for, for chunks of the season. Uh, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, like I said, that, those two were brought in, O'Neill and Piscopo, to sort of, you know, we, we, to add to that spine mm. and create a real strong spine, um, you know, which they just it, – it's been so disrupted um, that they haven't been able to gain an, any real cohesion amongst the squad, players coming in and out a lot. So you're right, they, they, they haven't had, um, you know, that output from, from Mikkel Tadze that they have in, in recent years. He hasn't been supplied the service so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. But I, I do think even amongst that, you look at other teams, um, you know, that are punching well above their weight, there's still a bit about them that, you know, if they go a goal behind, there's a bit of character. We're seeing it now with Perth Glory, with all the travel and everything, um, you know, that, that they're having to deal with. They're still there. They're still fighting um, against what everybody thought they, they would be doing. So yeah. I haven't seen enough of that in the Jets. Uh, the Jets' final three games, two of them at home against MacArthur and the Mariners, and then they go to Sydney on the final day of the season. Uh, MacArthur 2, Western Sydney Wanderers 2 in Campbelltown. Uh, a wild finish to this game. <laughs> Crazy stuff in the last 15, 20 minutes. And you, you, you looked at that miss by Cassini Yangi with the game at 2-1 for the Wanderers, and you thought, wow, that was a big miss. But then, you know, MacArthur, sorry, at one all. And then MacArthur go and score at the other end, and you think they've blown it. And then Borello has the last words. It was real up and down, end to end stuff. It was a terrific game of football, at least the last half an hour was, anyway. Exactly. In the end, it was. I mean, up until that goal in the first half, I was obviously with Roy doing the, the pre game, half time, and, and we're walking down um, thinking, I mean, thank God our half time you know, shows only three minutes long because there is nothing <laughs> to talk about here. But look, in, in the end, um, Barillo just did what he's been doing all season. You know, he brought the game to life with the goal, a great goal, um, and, and just highlighted sort of that variety of goals he's scored this season from outside the box, shot from distance, uh, you know, one-on-ones, tap-ins, headers, that, that second goal. He's just, you know, the complete sort of striker and, and um, that move from him into that position has been great and he's unstoppable at the moment. But, it was a crazy uh, last couple of minutes. Um, you know the way the way they equalised. Um, I mean, has the Wanderers in a good way? I think after after their performance last week, not so much performance, but that loss to Adelaide, yeah. that that would have hurt. And I think another loss. But you talk about moments, right? If Cassini scores, uh, Cassini Yengi scores that goal two one. You would imagine they hold out for two one, and everyone's talking about wow, how how great the Wanderers yeah. bounced back. Uh, in the end, they still found a way to get a point, and, and I think uh, you know it was a good performance. Sure was. Uh, Lockie Rose almost in tears at the end of the game. Yeah. Perhaps feeling that MacArthur's chance is slipping away. We shall see. Uh, victory nil, glo- glory nil on Sunday. Uh, I guess one of the main talking points, apart from Melbourne Victory's seemingly continual inability to score. I mean, they dominated <laughs> most of that game. We'll get the Perth glory perspective from Rupert Zakovic uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but was the state of the pitch at Amy Park? Uh, obviously, it's tricky with the crossover in uh, code seasons. Uh, Storm played there on Thursday. There was a rugby union game there on Friday. Uh, City played there on Sunday as well. When strangely enough, the pitch looks a little bit better, I thought. But um, you know, it's it's a problem, isn't it? I don't know what the solution is. I mean, for me, you know, Western United obviously need to be in the West. They shouldn't be playing at Amy Park. 
Uh, Melbourne City have moved their training base out to the east, Dandenong. You know, there's talk that the local council there is keen to build them a stadium. That's the solution, isn't it, with victory in the in the centre? It is, but look, I think, yeah, we, we, we do tend to look at this a lot. Can't do anything and, about the other codes, though. Well, that's, the, the that's the problem, yeah. right? I mean, and we saw it um, at Combank, you know, only last week, yep. the same thing. There was a game a couple of days earlier at wrecked the pitch. It's just one of those things that, unfortunately, we have to deal with. I, look, the, it happens around the world as well. You know, you get, uh, and, and not with a cross code, um, you know, playing 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 there as well. But, you know, with the weather, um, you get some rubbish Pitches sometimes, something we've got to deal with. I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, we probably need to, to stop complaining about this, the coaches, a little bit and just uh, get on with it. That, that's one thing. I do tend to agree a lot of times with things that get brought up, but this is one where there's nothing we can do about it in this situation. Mm. At least for the moment. For the moment. For the moment. Melbourne City uh, also played at Amy Park, uh, smashed Wellington Phoenix by four goals to one. Jamie McLaren back to form with a couple of goals. Again, we've mentioned 20 for the season yet again. Uh, Marco Tilio underlining why he might be ready to go to Europe. Um, in general terms, City are one win away from a third consecutive premiership. Now, I'm, I'm big on the history of, of, of the game. I don't think we make nearly enough of it. Sydney City, the only team in National League history to go uh, the three-peat with the premierships, 1980, 1981, 1982. This is a heck of an achievement by City if they get over the line, were which they, I'm sure were they Were there grand finals back then as well? No. Right, so it was just premierships. Yeah. So I think that's probably why there's a bit more weight given to what Sydney City did back then, which you're right. I mean, there, there shouldn't be any any difference. I think what Melbourne City is doing at the moment, um, given there's a salary cap, and I know they, you know, spend the most money, which they have every right to do. But at the end of the day, there is a salary cap. So they're, they're playing within the rules. It mm. is incredible what they're doing, you know. Um, and, and that just goes to the what they've sort of built at that club. You know, the people uh, all around the club, the players, the coaches, um, you know, Paddy Kiznorbo, what, what he did in his time there. It, it's a it's a well-run club at the moment. The players are, are, are wanting to play for each other, for the shirt, for their coaches, um, and it's just a great production line that they've got of players coming through, players leave, players come in, they know their job. Um, well, it is incredible. machine, isn't it? That's exactly the what they are. Exactly um, a are. word on uh, Phoenix, three defeats in a row now. Uh, Josh Laws, of course, sent off as well. Uh, will Alfie Tallow be there next season? You got any in, inside info for us? I haven't, no. I, I wish I did, um, and no doubt we'll hear a lot more. We've been hearing it for a few few weeks now about you know uh, the possibility that he could be on his way out where it ends up, I guess, depends on what jobs become available yeah. uh, at the end of the season. But it, it does make for an interesting talking point. Look, you, you see him on the sideline regardless. He, he's not thinking about any of that. He's wanting to win. And these three, um, you know, losses in a row would would definitely have hurt him because they, they, they were big games as well, you know, against Adelaide, Melbourne Victory and, and Melbourne City. So mm-hmm. he, he would have been wanting to make some sort of statement there heading into the finals. And they're not out of it by any means. I mean, out of that that race of um, the top six, because I think they're only, if I look at the ladder here, they're only three points off Perth Glory. Yeah. So it's um, it's very very close, even for them. Yeah, so they're they, not guaranteed yet. No, are they? they're not. They're not. Uh, they got a big game this weekend. Well, it's big games all across the weekend. Friday night it kicks off Newcastle Jets against Macarthur, seven forty five. Then on Saturday. It is the Mariners against Melbourne City, probably the game of the round that at five, and then Western Sydney Wanderers against Melbourne Victory a bit later. And on Sunday, the triple header, Wellington Phoenix against Brisbane, Sydney FC versus Perth Glory, which is huge as well, and Adelaide United against Western United. Keep those texts coming in, 0457 736 736. We've got quite a few already 
uh, tonight. Uh, there's no name on this one. Just simply says, happy Easter, gents. Uh, Shim, is Phil Collins in your top 10 drummers of all time? <laughs> Come on, Matildas. Uh, no. I didn't know who was a drummer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. With Genesis back in the day yeah. and still does a bit. No, it's, I mean, he's a great drummer. He's just not my genre, really. Um, <laughs> John Bonham is up there, but Neil Peart is number one. <laughs> The late great Neil Peartz, the Rush drummer, and Nico McBrain <laughs> from Iron Maiden. That's a, that's my top three. Sorry, Phil, you don't uh, you don't cut the mustard. Um, and on a more serious note, uh, this one's come in. Mark from Wentworth Wentworthville. I messaged you last week, but the topic is too tough for you to address it. No, it's not, Mark. You uh, got in contact with us last week about transgender players in football. Now, this is a very difficult, very sensitive topic. And for a journalist to do the job properly and investigate it, you need to get as much information as you possibly can. I am in the process of doing that at the moment. I've spoken to Football New South Wales and I need to speak to some other people. When I get that relevant information, then I will address your question. But don't accuse me ever of copping out of a question. We're off to a break. <laughs> On the other side of it, we'll talk to Ruben Zankovic, the head coach of Perth Glory. Well, it's been a while since we focused on Perth Glory, but their bid for the finals is gathering pace on the back of an enviable home record. And on Sunday, they ground out a point in a goalless draw with Melbourne Victory to set up a seismic clash with Sydney FC this coming weekend. Just one point, of course, separating the Sky Blues in sixth from Glory in seventh. Let's talk now to Glory head coach Ruben Zadkovic. Evening, Ruben. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Broski's here as well. Uh, Ruben, I did love your quote on Sunday. A proper old-school game of football, a shitty pitch away from home against a good team and a big club. And it was too, and you, and you really had to dig in for that point, even though you had chances of your own to win it as well. Yeah, it was a, uh, we'll call it how you see it. That's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm good for. Um, you know, I think it was a it was a game where if I knew the state of the pitch was like that before we got there, our game plan may have been slightly different. So we had to adjust on the run, and um, I think victory were definitely more prepared and set up. You know, with a, with a tight four four two and and played to the conditions a little bit better than us. It took us a good twenty five minutes or so to settle and had to make a little bit of a tactical change to kind of put us in the contest. But I was super proud of the way um, my players adapted on the run and and the way they showed resilience, which is exactly what we need at this you know point in the season. Just speaking on that resilience, I mean, your home form has been incredible and, and, and the away form, when you look at that, um, you know, obviously a lot less so, but, you know, that, that's your second consecutive draw on the road where you, you have shown that character and that resilience. Is that something that you're trying to bring in to try and get these wins and turn that away form around? Yeah, definitely, mate. I think, you know, it's been a very... Um been a very interesting uh, journey for us as a group. I mean, there's a lot of changes to our squad and a lot of guys that um, have are new to Perth. And the travel was is certainly something that's hit a few of them pretty hard. And I think, um, you know, they weren't so prepared mentally for it. And I think the longer the season's gone, the, the more they're growing into those performances. I think the other funny thing about football is we've had some really good performances away from home where we've, you know, dominated possession and dominated chances on goal. You know, the Western United game springs to mind, first of all, and um, and not got anything and lost because of we've conceded either, whether whether it be from individual mistakes or a set piece or something, you know, which we know we need to do better, but hasn't really been a phase of play um, thing. So, and then we haven't got anything. And then on the weekend, you know, there we are. I thought our performance was 
wasn't great at all, if I'm honest, in terms of our phase of play and, and us trying to build up with the ball. But we get a point out of it. And I think, um, you know, resilience is something that this team's shown a lot of times. I think that's, you know, I think five times or six times this season we've come back from losing positions to get points. Away uh, to Wellington, we were 2-0 down, um, you know, up there in a, in a very difficult rural ground and came back to 2-2. And again, that's a game we finished with, you know, a lot, of, a lot more possession and a lot more chances on goal and, and probably should have won in the end. So there's been a lot of performances where we didn't get the result. Uh, we feel like if we stick to our processes, then we improve and, you know, we need uh, an 18-man performance over 95 minutes, then we definitely feel like we're good enough. And I feel like this is a massive opportunity for us, you know, to go to a great a great club and a great team away from home, backs against the wall, and, and maybe put our best away performance of the year in. Uh, Ruben, just before we leave Sunday's game against Victory, uh, any complaints about the red card issued to Mark Beavers? And um, any view on Victory's shout for a penalty? I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> Yeah, look, the penalty one, to be honest, I, I haven't seen too many angles of the penalty. I've had a few people say it looked like a penalty and mm. a couple of guys on pitch say that it looked more like a dive. I think it was probably a mixture of both. Um, it's probably one of those situations where, um, you know, had the ref given a penalty, it definitely wouldn't have been overruled. And we've had a couple this year that have gone the other way on that. So how it's called on pitch obviously can then make it um, a little bit in that grey area where is it clear and obvious to the to the VAR of which they thought that it wasn't. So... Um, I think we probably got a little bit lucky in that case um, that the, the on-field referee didn't give it. However, you know, like, like I said after the game, I do feel like um, too much we're talking after every A-League game about whether it be a red card or a penalty or a decision yeah. from a referee. And I do, I do firmly believe that the more the referees stay out of those big moments, unless it's clear and obvious and unless it's a, a glaring um, foul or a glaring, you know, card, then I feel like, Airing on the side of staying out of it is important. And I don't mm. feel like that was a game-changing moment. I felt like it was a really hard-fought draw away from home. And, um, yeah, so that, that's probably my view on the penalty. I think um, the Mark Beavers one, you know, I'm a little bit firmer on my views. I feel like, you know, I think it's only a minute or two into the game. He makes a foul in transition, and it's a yellow card. And if you're going to start a game in a contest like that with a yellow card that early in a game for a pretty soft transition foul, then you have to be consistent. And that means that every transition foul that's on halfway needs to be given a yellow card that looks like a dangerous situation. And of course it wasn't. So he books him early on in the game for a very soft foul. And then late in the game when there's, you know, 10 players from each team in a push and shove where there wasn't much pushing, there wasn't much shoving, there wasn't any striking, there wasn't really any aggression in it. Um, you know, I feel like a, a, a a tougher referee or a referee who wants to stay out of it a little bit, he maybe does exactly the same thing, calls the same players after the melee. He calls the captains to the melee and then says, fellas, you've got a minute left of football. Let's get the corner done and finish the game. And there's no need to go and then send a player off for, for something that he didn't really do. So um, that's my view on it. But I, I, then again, I am old school. I think all yellow cards uh, should be play on anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, I you, think, you and uh, Daniel McBreen, by the way, especially the way you used to tackle. <laughs> yeah, look, I just, I just, I, I, I just feel like we go, we go too far the other way. Every yeah. week we're talking yeah. about red cards and suspensions and referee decisions, and I'd love for it to be. That's true. Know, it should have been spoken about the football, to be honest. It should have been spoken about how victory played really well at home and probably had the better of the game. And then Perth Glory showed a lot of character to get a point and it shouldn't really be about referee decisions. That's what I feel. Agree, mate. Couldn't agree more, actually. Uh, look, just looking at Adam Taggart, um, you, you mentioned post-game on Sunday that he's carrying a, a groin niggle at the moment. 
Uh, we know, you know, Craig Goodwin is, is um, and I don't know if it's a similar injury, but he's also managing it. Will Adam be right for the weekend or is it something that he's just going to have to manage from now on? Yeah, we'll have to look at it. The good, the good part, um, you know, this week was he was moving today and out on the grass, and that's um, that's a step forward from what he was able to do last week. He wasn't really able to get going at all last week, but he still wanted to come with the team and wanted to, you know, in his words, you know, go out there and try and nick a goal late if we needed it a bit. And um, you know, he's playing through a little bit of pain there for us on the weekend. And I said it after the game, you know, like, um, you know, he's he's he loves this club. This is his hometown club, and he's been a a great pickup for us and. Albeit we haven't really seen the best of him, if I'm honest. He, he came in, um, you know, with a few, a few niggles here and there, and he picked up a, a slight quad strain early. And then we've kind of been playing catch up with him ever since. And uh, he's working really hard. Um, he's working really hard with our medical team. But if I'm honest, it'll be a, one that's penciled in for a really good preseason, and I think mm. we'll see the best of him moving into next year. But if we can, um, if we can get a good week's training into him and, and get him on the pitch on the weekend, then one thing we know about Tags is uh, he knows how to score, and he. I think the dangerous thing for other teams at the moment is they need to be looking at the amount of times Tags has been in a position to score. And uh, for as long as those percentages are high and he's had his chances, I know that the goals are coming. And uh, for as long as his attitude is how it is at the moment, where he's willing to sacrifice for his team and his club, um, then he'll lead our line if he's if he's fit. So this all sets up this huge game at the weekend against Sydney FC. It's so important for both sides. Um, how do you set up without Mark Beavers, possibly without Adam Taggart, at least in your starting 11? And, of course, young Jacob Muir also came off. So that's two of your three central defenders potentially out that started at the weekend. Does this mean a, a major rejig for you potentially? Look, it might, it might be. I think um, I think one thing that I've had to do in, in my time, you know, especially as interim manager and uh, and even moving into this season is just, you know, be flexible and adaptable to what we have and who we're facing, and um, you know that's something that I've I've definitely learned in this in this short and you know very whirlwind journey of, of coaching that I've had to endure so far. And um, you know, the, I like to I like my teams to be flexible and I like them to be adaptable, and um, something that takes a little bit of time. And there's a lot of a lot of detail to around those tactical changes and how the principles don't change, but sometimes the formation does, and the spaces are in different areas and. I feel like my team's growing in that. Um, we're able to, to change and adapt on the run in the middle of games now, and um, we're picking up points because of those changes. So, look, I've got a lot of confidence in um, you know my squad and, and how they'll go about their business, and I've also got a big confidence in my younger players, and I, I'm more than happy to throw them into situations that are high pressure because I firmly believe in that's important for their development and it's important for the development of Australian football, and uh, I'm going to stand by that. I'm going to stick to that. So if we're missing a few... Key individuals, then you know one man's loss is another man's gain, and if if that's a young player, then I'm more than happy to throw them into a you know a must-win game, and, and that excites me to be honest. Just looking at um, at the season in general, I mean, you had such a big turnover of players this season. Seventeen, um, you know, left the club. Eighteen have come in. Has the fact that you're you're even sort of challenging at this time of the year for finals has it come earlier than you expected, or um, are you right where you expected to be this season? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question, Roscoe. I think, like, first of all, like, I'm an eternal optimist by nature. Like, I always, you know, everything that I'm competing in, I, I want to win and I expect to win and I always have a huge belief in myself. And I've tried to impart that on my group and not really, you know, limit them to, to setting lofty goals or standards or we have to be here or have to be there. One thing that I've been very clear on with the group right from the start, players and staff and all our admin people and uh, people behind the scenes is that, you know, given the context of where we were when I took over the club 
um, the build's going to be a, a big process, and it's going to take a few windows full stop for us to get you know back to where we need to be. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, we don't want to fast track that. It doesn't mean that we can't work our asses off, you know, day in day out, and and you know surprise people. And what we've had to endure, we had a we had a preseason with a lot of changes, like you say, not just in in player roster, but also in many departments in our football department, physio, S and C, um, admin, CEO. The changes through the club have been massive, and the rebuild's been you know crazy behind the scenes if people knew what we, 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 we what we've actually endured so and then to start you know we had one game in pre-season against a-league opposition and then started with five away games in a row so we were basically growing as a group in the middle of competition games and since that world cup break when we had those five weeks to train and, and really focus on our key principles and, and how we want to play and who we want to be and how we want to represent ourselves there's been a, a big shift in in performances and uh like i said our home form's been really good um, we've had some good performances away and haven't picked up points. And um, I feel like we're actually a little bit unlucky unlucky not to be higher on the ladder. But I'm not the only coach seeing that. Uh, Ruben, just one final one before we let you go. We've got about another six questions, but unfortunately the clock's beaten us. Um, I wanted to ask you what the situation is with Stefan Kolakowski. He's not featured very much at all this season. He arrived from Melbourne City. I think everybody thought he would he would probably be starting every week. Is it an injury or what's the, what's the go with Stefan? Look, it's a... This is a, a it's a hard subject to talk about because some of the conversations and some of the things obviously we need to keep in house. Mm-hmm. I think with Steph, what I can say is the first thing that's important is he's a fantastic person. He's a great guy and someone that I've got a lot of time for in our relationship. You know, as people's very strong. I think we've shifted away um, tactically a little bit from where we were at the start of the season and in preseason. And um, you know, we've spent a lot of the year in a back three with wing backs, and and that's not necessarily suiting Steph if, if I'm honest and that's mm-hmm. not his fault but the other part of football is you have to adapt and you also have to um, you know you have to work hard and you have to earn your, your time and your minutes and uh, that's an area that Steph needs to focus on so I think he's he's faced and endured a lot he's moved away from home for the first time he's still a young kid he's got a his future is all ahead of him and uh, part of football is when you're not playing is to knuckle down and continue to work yeah. hard and that's what he's going to do and I'm sure that um, he'll get the minutes you know down the track in his career at the time that he deserves it, and that's and that's pretty much all I can say on the matter. And you know, he's not the only one. I'm sure there are other players in our squad that would be disappointed that they're not playing big minutes. Also, but my decisions are for the best of the the team and the club. And sometimes that doesn't benefit all players. And if I'm really honest, um, that's the toughest part about the job is that you have to make tough decisions. And it's not always um, about the individual. And it's never nice to not players, and it's never nice to tell players that they need to improve in different areas. But you know, the reality is is that, and that's my job. So. Um, I've tried to be very fair and very true to, to what I think and what I feel is best for the team and the club. Ruben, that's uh, a pretty thorough answer. Can't ask for more than that. Um, thanks so much for your time tonight. Wish you all the very best uh, against Sydney at the weekend and for the rest of the season. Thanks for joining us. Good luck, mate. My pleasure, guys. Cheers, fellas. Now, over the next few minutes, I want to touch upon a worrying topic. On Sunday, Joey Lynch tweeted that he was the only journalist in attendance covering Melbourne victory against Perth Glory at Amy Park. One journalist covering the biggest club in the country. Up until recently, you'd have struggled to get a seat in that press box. Now, over the last few few years, of course, this has been a trend as the number of football-specific media has been reduced to microscopic levels. They've been reduced to the margins, moved to other sports, stripped of their livelihoods to the point where those left in the mainstream, at least, can almost be counted on the fingers of one hand. 
The ones that remain find themselves largely either in the employ in the employ of those who hold media rights, myself included, or by the people who run the game. Truly independent football media is almost non-existent. This is a reality generally too. In Western societies, the growing influence of big business and dwindling revenues has left the fourth estate increasingly at the behest of financial considerations. Democracy is the loser, of course, when editorial integrity is compromised. Little wonder the term fake news is in vogue. And so the contribution of the romp that is left of the football media is especially important to the health of the sport. With or without conflict of interest, we must try to properly uphold the tenets of journalism, to report without fear or favour and hold those in power to account, to offer opinions that challenge, not cheerlead. That exchange of ideas is the bedrock of a healthy game, of a functioning democracy. All of which is why part of an article by Gerard Waitley got me rather hot under the collar last week. Now, Waitley's piece centred around the APL's decision to rearrange the incomplete Melbourne derby on Wednesday night after the trouble in December. Now, on that issue specifically, I've got no problem with his opinion. It's a legitimate point of view, and as I said, opinions should be welcome. I tweeted afterwards that my biggest gripe was this quote. It didn't happen in isolation. Some of the most prominent voices in the sport had created an atmosphere of volatility over the governing body's decision to sell the A-League Grand Final to Sydney. That ginned-up environment produced the worst imaginable hooliganism. Well, sorry, but this is incorrect. The press release issued by APL on the 12th of December went out early that morning. By the time of the official press conference in the afternoon, the backlash was so strong that the club's CEOs, who'd been due to attend and offer Danny Townsend, the CEO, their moral support, had run for cover and opted not to go. I know, I hosted it. Players such as Craig Goodwin, who'd been used in the video to promote the venture, issued statements to distance themselves from the decision too. The football media, such as it is, it dutifully reported these events and only got around to offering opinions in the aftermath of the anger later in the day. The fury was organic, not concocted by the media. That the APL chose to announce the news in the week of the Melbourne Derby, one of the biggest games of the season, was on them not the media. For what it's worth, here was my take later that day. I get the need for money and for the need to be bold. It might work, who knows? But for me, this is a misreading of the room and will alienate a lot of supporters, especially but not exclusively those from interstate. Hardly a call to arms. And I don't know one football journalist who call for pitch invasions and violence. There is a broader issue here. It's the widely held expectation that football media types should stay quiet on big issues. Know your place in the landscape. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Live the big, leave the big opinion stuff to the big boys. You know, the ones who cover AFL, rugby league and cricket. This view, sadly, is one that prevails inside many parts of our game too. And it's why it's time to tackle this head on. The last few years have seen these pressures increase to almost unmanageable levels, as I know to my cost. I was one of those journalists who felt it during the governance war. I was leaned upon heavily to either present the official view of those in power at the time or else say nothing at all. Ultimately, because I refused to buckle to that pressure, I was barred from writing football opinions, opinions at all. So much for a free press. Now, more recently, while I'm glad to report that neither Channel 10 nor SEN 
have placed any such restrictions on me. The same cannot be said from some within the game. I've had the angry late-night phone calls, the abusive and unsolicited messages, sometimes even during commentary, by the way, and tweets questioning my integrity from those who should know better. One club, during my hiatus from full-time employment, even attempted to prevent me from doing some paid work for Football Australia due to something I'd said during a podcast 12 months previously. That's how insidious it can be. Now, more concerningly, this week, I've had contact from two people in the football media who've reached out for some advice. One has been the subject of angry private text messages. Another has received death threats. Yep, that's plural. Others have had similar experiences. If they speak out, they are berated and sometimes ostracised. A few years ago, one even had accreditation for a major event withdrawn on the back of something they'd written. All of that is not acceptable. Journalists are not beyond reproach, of course. We have guidelines to work to. Defamation laws are strong. We don't always get it right, and we're not beyond criticism. But neither are those employed in the game. There are commercial interests to take into consideration. We are constantly walking the fine line between promoting the game and covering it honestly. And we know we're like referees. Everyone thinks we're biased. And everyone believes they can do a better job. But every football media person I know loves this game, wanted to succeed and wants to help. And sometimes you help the one you love by telling them uncomfortable truths. That's always been one of the pillars of journalism, speaking truth to power. Every other sport has people with strong opinions that drive debate. Yet when football people do it, it seems to make people uncomfortable. The football media didn't fan the flames of discontent. The fans, players, coaches, even the club CEOs did that themselves. And anyone thinking football supporters take their lead from journalists seriously do not know this game at all. To suggest it was us who incited fans to riot is wrong and only further encourages people within the game to view our role as being mere cheerleaders. It's not our job, as so many state, to get behind the game. It's to cover it, honestly, good, bad or indifferent. And if the game can't handle that, then the end result will be more empty press boxes right around the country. Because ultimately, in terms of jobs, it's not been coaches, players or administrators who've paid the heaviest price for the game's failures. It's been us. Yes, time to talk English Premier League with Spencer Pryor. How are you, Spen? I'm very good, thank you, Simon. I hope you're keeping well yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you rehearsed that. Uh, let's talk at the top of the table. Uh, Arsenal, a little bit of a stumble, but they hung on for a point. I don't know whether Broski's happy or disappointed, one of the two. Oh, I mean, happy they didn't lose, but it wasn't great. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you happy, Spen? Well, it's opened it up, hasn't it? It's opened it up very nicely. And we spoke last week about all the twists and turns that are still going to happen. So, Mm. you know, at 2-0 up, cruising the game, completely dominant. Um, And they talk about 2-0. Well, we talk about 2-0 not being a comfortable scoreline. Liverpool scored just before 
half time and the game completely changed. Flipped on its head second half. Liverpool Liverpool looked like Liverpool of last season. Um, in the second half, completely dominant. But um, And they've still got that in them on the odd occasion, haven't they? But it it almost it seems like you need to light a fire underneath them to get it going. And 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 that's been the thing this year is that inconsistency. And look, that they the way they attacked the cop end at the, in the second half could have gone on and won it. Um, all but all but for a brilliant couple of saves. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it was. Aaron Ramsdale, it, it, it is, looked. Yeah. Ramsay, it looks like two points drop from Arsenal's perspective, but they 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 come away with a point. It it's it really has opened it up, um, and you know they'll regroup and go again. Arsenal, this, this it's a very 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 different Arsenal, and much more resilient and determined to go on and win the league. It, it, there's there's still more twists, mate. You know that. What about the, uh, the the bizarre situation with the assistant referee um, in what looked like an elbow to Andy Robertson's chin just before halftime? Have you have you seen anything like that before? What would you have done I, if you were Andy I, Robertson? I'll be honest, I, I've not seen the footage, but Andy Robertson's gone to grab him apparently, and it's a kind of reaction to get him off. And yeah, look, there, there's he's been suspended while there's an investigation, but. You know, again, we, we're seeing players going grabbing officials, and uh, I'm not saying he should have elbowed him in the throat. That that's not how an, an official should react. But the reality is, he's gone to grab him, and and whether it's a shrugging him off or whatever it was, I don't think he's gone hard at him with an elbow like you and Roberts or Dion Dublin used to. Well, Shearer used to throw throw their elbows around. We're we're not talking a blatant sort of whooshka right I, I, I tell you what, Spanner, I, th- I think the fact that Robertson makes a move towards him and I think he touches him. I don't think mm. he, I'm not sure if he grabs him, but he certainly touches him and that might save the assistant ref because what followed after, it doesn't look good, to be honest. You know, normally when you're trying to get people off you, you throw your arm forward, don't you? Or, or, or backwards. Exactly. Not towards it's the a person. Elbow that's that's <laughs> provocation. And he's a big boy. Too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was a big unit. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, as you say, it's opened it up a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah. the narrative now is, you know, it's in Man City's hands, which it is, but it's in Arsenal's too. Uh, City very comfortable in the 4-1 win over Southampton. Uh, another couple of goals for Erling Haaland, the fastest player ever to 30 Premier League goals. Uh, the, the bicycle kick is just freakish i mean you know i don't I, the commentator said you, you sort of run out of words when trying to describe him and I, I, I as a as a commentator myself i totally concur with that he is just unbelievable yeah. we keep we keep i mean he scores it's a ridiculous the sorts of sort of goals he does score right earlier in earlier in the season we were seeing him making runs on through balls from de bruyne now, then we're seeing him scoring tappings around the six-yard box, like a like a Tony Cotty, and now we're seeing him scoring goals like Ibrahimovic, like bicycle kicks and all that nonsense. The reality, <laughs> like, no, for someone his size to be as agile as he is, mm. and yet, yeah, absolute complete player, and, and we don't, I mean. Look, the, the the best thing could have been that you know he missed though he missed the international. 
break, uh, window. He didn't play in those. He got himself back fit, healthy again. That that couple of weeks off or 10 days off that he would have had to freshen up physically, mentally, get healthy again, uh, I just think we've got much, much more to see from him this year. Yep. Broski. Um, no, look, I mean, what what is his? Anyway, he's only a couple of goals off the uh, the all-time record for goals in a season. Right? Yeah, I think that's is that 34, 34, isn't it, held by Alan Shearer. He's got 44 with, in all competitions. With, what, seven games to play. Yeah. I mean, you're going back in the history books. I mean, you're looking at Dixie Dean, who got 60 back in the Ooh. 1930s, and George Camsell for Middlesbrough, 59. He's not okay. he's not going to get that in a league season, but he might get 60 in all competitions. Wow. That's well, not beyond the realms of possibility. It, don't forget in those, those, um, that era when he was Dixie Dean was scoring 60 goals, they would have been playing 44 games probably. You know, I think it was 42. Yeah. Was yeah. it 42, was it? So, yeah, a lot more games. There's more games in them seasons. But, yeah, incredibly, um, incredible sort of first season in a Premier League. And, and it just, it shows why they've paid as much money yeah. as they have. Yeah. I think the re- the reality will be the Champions League. And, you know, I, I, that's what he's been brought in to, to be successful in as well. So yeah. that's going to be the real test. And we're up early tomorrow morning for the five o'clock kickoff, Man City against Bayern Munich. Um, let's talk about Chelsea, are also involved in the Champions League on Thursday, away to Real Madrid. How bizarre is this situation? 27 months after Frank Lampard was sacked for Thomas Tuchel, who took them to Champions League success in the Club World Cup and was then sacked, and $600 million or pounds later, and Graham Potter has come and gone. And we're back with Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Back with him to the end of the season. It's a, it's a literally is a caretaker role. We've, I think we've got five caretaker managers in the Premier League, which is even more bizarre. Mm. That you know the, the that we're seeing clubs getting getting managers in on short term contracts just to get them through to the end of the season, which is then when managers really want to go in. And you know everyone keeps talking about Ange going into one of these clubs. He, it's crisis management time, and look for a manager to go in. Dean Smith's obviously gone into Leicester now. It, it it's completely different going in in crisis management to actually going in and have putting your own feel on something. You're going in to try and really just stop the the the, the hemorrhaging. Uh, and that's where that's where Chelsea are at. I mean, yeah. I know, we know they're still in the Champions League. Their league form has been awful. But as a manager, you you really can't lose going in on these short-term gigs. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it, get in, try and get some sort of uh, camaraderie going. Get get lighten the mood on the training pitch. Take your cash and, and get and out. And <laughs> well, it kind of. It kind of is. I, I don't think these guys are doing it for the money. Yeah. I think they're doing it. It puts them back in the shop window. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all in the shop window. And if they do well, they they, they might get to stay where they are, or at least they might get a sniff for one of the other clubs. And looking at the uh, the fight for Champions League places, there wasn't uh, any real movement in that uh, in that in that battle. Uh, Manchester United were convincing in a, a potential banana skin mm-hmm. game for them. Um, Newcastle now won five in a row, beating Brentford two one, um, and and yeah. Tottenham beating Brighton in a in a in quite a feisty game there. 
It wasn't even feisty, Brosky. It was an absolute daylight <laughs> robbery. Absolute daylight robbery. Brighton absolutely battered them, were completely dominant. And the first disallowed goal, got no idea why that was disallowed. It's it's hit him on that on the uh, on the sleeve, like on the sleeve on his on his short sleeve shirt, which I believe is actually all right now. You can mm-hmm. that's that's okay, right? So it's like it's a chesty shoulder sort of thing. Chesty and the VAR sort of thing. <laughs> chesty shoulder, you know, where it's like it's on that yeah, on that little on the cusp. thing there. Yeah. And he and it and he goes and scores and, and VAR then pulled that back and ruled that out. And, oh my god, the the biggest VAR, easiest VAR penalty you've seen probably all season is given originally and or and then it, it it's turned it's over to he doesn't give it. Mm. It's an absolute shambles at one all. Um, and then Tottenham obviously go on and win. And the re- the reaction that you start reading from Spurs fans, they know what's going on. Brian can feel incredibly hard done by. Um, I, I I just want to get to a stage where we start to follow what other sports might be are doing, where you can hear what these clowns are oh, talking. Don't, and what, don't get me started on that one. Oh, we'll I be just, here all night. Simon, I just I want to hear what these absolute flogs are saying <laughs> and how they're coming up with non-decisions uh, or overturning things. At, at least give us give us an insight into what they're actually help, thinking. It would help, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would help. Which is oh why they're God. not, but that's why they're not allowing it to happen. <laughs> well, they are trialling mm. it, of course. So let's hope that it's, it's the start of, of that becoming, uh, if we're going to keep VAR, then at least we can hear what they're talking about. We're not all left in the dark. Um, one more before we let yeah. you go, Spenner. All uh, right. Quickly, if you don't mind. Bottom three, Forest, Leicester, Southampton at the moment, still very tight down there. Uh, have we found our yeah. three that are going down? Well, I, I'm I'm really hopeful that Dean Smith goes in and does a good job. It's, it's great to see Craig Shakespeare going back to Leicester where, you know, he, he was part of the uh, Ranieri's team that won the Premier League. So it's good that they've got him back in. Uh, and I hope it works out for Dean Smith. I'm not sure it will. I think um, I think I think we're still looking at Southampton and and possibly Leicester, but I think it's looking a bit grim for Forest at the moment as well yeah, now. Not on a good run. Hey, Spanner, we've got yeah. to leave it there. Thanks, mate. We'll speak to you again same time next week. See you, mate. Take care. See you, boys. That's uh, Spencer Pryor. Champions League this week on Wednesday. That's tomorrow morning. Benfica, Inter and Man City, Bayern, both kicking off at 5 a.m. Thursday, Real Madrid, Chelsea and AC Milan versus Napoli and all Italian time. Wow. Both kicking off at 5 a.m. as well. Premier League this weekend. Saturday night, Sunday morning, it's Villa against Newcastle and Chelsea against Brighton and Spurs versus Bournemouth and then Man City versus Leicester in the wee small hours of Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, Monday morning, West Ham, Arsenal, Nottingham Forest against Man United. And then Tuesday morning, Leeds against Liverpool. Check the SEN broadcast guide for coverage of all those games across the SEN network and on the SEN app across the weekends. Off to another quick break. On the other side of it, we'll talk women's football with Alicia Carnavas.
Yes, time to talk women's football with Alicia Carnavas. Evening, Alicia. 100 days to go to the Women's World Cup. Final batch of tickets on sale today. Are you excited? Hi, guys. How are you? Um, good, look, good. First time I've really felt it was today. That sort of 100 days makes it really real. All mm. of a sudden it's happening. We're on the countdown. I think everyone's sort of excited. All the capitals, you could see uh, functions and announcements happening all around Australia. So it's here, it's on its way. And, and we've got a lot of international football happening at the moment as well, which is sort of adding to the excitement. So I'm excited. And we're going to talk. Yep, we're going to talk about that international football in a moment. Six hundred and fifty thousand tickets sold at the opening game against Ireland, close to a sellout at Stadium Australia. And FA reporting today. This is a bit of a surprise to me, actually, that they're preparing a bid for the Women's Asian Cup in twenty twenty six. Yeah, look, it is a bit of a surprise, but it makes sense. I think if they're anticipating a bit of growth off the back of the World Cup and and if we think about that being, I guess, leading into 2024, they can keep that momentum going with women's football into mm. 2026 and keep the hype going as well. So I think it's quite a smart move from Football Australia. I have heard rumours that Saudi are also bidding for mm-hmm. the Asian Cup 2026. So That'll be an interesting um, discussion and, I guess, contender for, for Australia with everything that FIFA are doing in and around the Middle East at the moment as well. But um, great if, if they can secure it and keep building. Yeah, let's uh, hope they build a stadium in Brisbane as well. That'd be nice too on the back of that. <laughs> Go on, Broski. Had uh, to get that dig You in. did, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, just looking at the Matildas, um, they fell to a, a 1-0 defeat at, against Scotland. Um I mean, even though they were without Sam Kerr, a few other senior stars, it, it was still a, a disappointing performance. You, what did you take from that game? Yeah, look, I think the expectation now with where the Matildas are is that we would beat teams like Scotland regardless of not having our main our main stars sort of in the mix, people like Sam Kerr and even Steph Catley, for example, not being there and Caitlin Ford. So I think that was disappointing. But full credit to the Scots, the way they came out against the Matildas was sensational. They were really, really physical. They were quick on the attack. They pressed quite high as well, which I think caught us off guard quite a bit, particularly in that first half. So I think Tony is right in his assessment and going, well, look, it's a learning curve, albeit a very late one. Um, But look, disappointing uh, for Australian football fans all the same. We want to start to see that momentum uh, now with wins coming into the World Cup for the confidence as well for the team. We'll uh, talk about the England game in a moment. Uh, Positives from that game, obviously the return of uh, Ellie Carpenter and uh, her combination with Courtney Vine down the right-hand side. She's blossoming into a, a fine international player. Yeah, she really is. And I really applaud her for still staying in our league here at home in the A-League and then being able to continue, I guess, her performance on the international stage. It sort of is one of those beacons for the A-League, to be fair. Courtney Vine, she's been fantastic. But I'm excited to see that combination with Ellie. Um, Obviously, having Ellie back is just an asset um, to the team. We can speak forever about Ellie and what she brings to the team, particularly down that right flank. But um, it, it brings a bit of security, I think, for Courtney as well to play her natural game when she when she goes forward with someone like Ellie in behind her. So that combination, I'm excited to see what comes of that in the next few months and, and years as well. So with the England match uh, coming up in the morning, uh, I mean, they're 30 matches unbeaten at the moment. Tony Gustafsson said he's, he's going to be without eight to ten players for this one, but he wants to attack. Is that realistic or, or how do you think he should be approaching this game? Yeah, look, uh, eight to ten players is a starting lineup, right? That's mm. that's a substantial amount of players that 
that he's missing. Um, I applaud the intent, I guess, that he still wants to attack, but against a team like England, what are they, 30 matches now yeah, unbeaten yeah. that they, they're coming into? Um, they've just come off the back of, forget the Euros, they've just beaten Brazil, right, just last weekend. So that for them, their tails are up, they're wagging, they're, they're ready to go. So um, I think, look, we need a win. We need a draw at minimum or a win I think the Matildas will be looking for that particularly against a strong team like England in reality I expect England to be in the top four come the World Cup so this is a real I think measuring I guess margin for us as to where we sit coming into July as well so tomorrow's match is important Um, depleted yes but I think all the same we need to put some confidence into that next string of players and see what they can do against England. Alicia, just on what you've said, in general terms, are you a little bit concerned that the Matildas are heavily reliant on those experienced players? And if they are missing for whatever reason, obviously there's question marks over Alana Kennedy. Hopefully Sam Kerr will be okay come the World Cup. But if one or two others are missing, then does that present a big problem? Yeah, I've I've probably been quite vocal about this as well. Um, definitely, that's always been a concern of mine that we've been so heavily reliant on essentially the same eleven for a very long time. Um, the concern I sort of voiced last year was what happens if some of these players get injured, touch wood, um, and we're starting to see it now, probably at not the best time, obviously coming into a World Cup. Um, so what it's done is, I guess, it's left a bit of a void. Um, I, I would have liked to see Alex Chidiak getting more game time, for example, last year. Uh, Claire Wheeler is another player. Mary Fowler, just to give her that confidence as well. She's just not quite there in terms of her, her finish at the moment, and that's a confidence thing. Um, there are players now that will have to step up uh, to fill the void of Caitlin Ford for example, that's huge to do right now um, for these players. And, of course, they've they've built this team around essentially um, Kennedy, Catley, Kerr and, and Ford. That's been the structure of that team and all four of those players are missing um, in huge vital roles with how the Matildas play. So it is concerning for me, but fingers and toes crossed that, all of those four players in particular are good to go, good to go come July because that's that's the crunch really is the World Cup. Mm. Uh, and it will kick off against Ireland, of course, who uh, played a friendly themselves. They were beaten by another of the favourites, the USA, in a friendly by two goals to nil. But uh, uh, a bit of a blow for the Americans. Their key striker Mallory Swanson, who's been in great form of late. Uh, was carted off with a knee injury and uh, went straight to hospital. Is she in doubt for the for the Women's World Cup? Yeah, look, I'd say so, and that's a real blow for, for the US. I always say, um, at the moment, the US have been quite under the radar um, from, from my angle, but the USA, as in terms of women's football, have always been a beacon uh, for our game. So for them to lose their key striker at this time, and if she's going straight to hospital, yeah, I'd be concerned that she's, she's going to miss... Uh, you know, 100 days to go, as we're saying. Mm. Break that down, that's, what, three months to be finding fit and ready to go. So um, unless it's something minor surgically, if that's where it ends up, I'd, I'd say she'd be struggling at this point to, to make the World Cup, which is disappointing. It would be. Uh, looking ahead to uh, to the Liberty A-League finals, which start uh, this weekend after the weekend off, there's a big one on Saturday with a Melbourne derby between City and Victory. Uh, this normally is the time that Victory come alive, isn't it, as they uh, bid to win an incredible three in a row. 
Yeah, I always say uh, Melbourne Victory tend to thrive in, in these environments, men and women. They're, they're very, very good when it comes to finals football. Um, Jeff Hopkins, obviously, is coach. He's He's got that experience, and they'll be looking to get, what is it, third in a row for Melbourne Victory, yep. the three-peat, mm-hmm. if they can they can win it. Um, I saw Kayla Morrison really, really encouraging fans to come out as well and supporting the players um, in, in both matches, which I think is really important. So hopefully we see a bit of an influx in attendance as well for people to actually come down and watch. But uh, my pick would be victory definitely to win this weekend. Uh, and what about the other semi, Alicia? Sydney FC and Western United, they finished one and two. Uh, they won one each in the regular season. Who's going to win that one? I'm sorry, Broski. I'm still backing Western. <laughs> so, but after a week, she might have changed her mind. No, no. I just um, oh, look. I just got a feeling, a little hunch. Maiden season, fairy tale, make the final. I've got a feeling about Western. So well, we'll see. An all Melbourne final then. <laughs> In Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Which is where you are, but you need to get on a plane. So we're going to let you go, uh, Alicia. Um, Thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you next week. See you, Alicia. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks again for all your texts and tweets. Uh, Tonight, we'll read out our two prize winners just before we go off air at 11 o'clock. This tweet from... Perhaps the aptly named Lazy News Updates, <laughs> requesting uh, when we might find out the identity of the clubs that have made the shortlist for the national second tier. He or she uh, says it's like waiting for the next Harry Kuehl to appear. <laughs> uh, the only info I've got on this, and I have uh, sent a text message to somebody from the AAFC to see if they've got a, a better answer, but uh, the next stage of the process is the request for proposal which is supposed to be between April and June 2023. So I would imagine that the the shortlist has got to be imminent, hasn't it? It would have to be. Has to be. Yeah. So hopefully we find out pretty soon, or at least the clubs do, mm-hmm. uh, so they can get their proposals in. <laughs> um, this one from Glenn from Roseville. Uh, this is an interesting one, Broski. Uh, Glenn says, I'm travelling to Melbourne this weekend for a child-free getaway and always thought that Melbourne claimed to be the sporting capital of the world. I thought I'd catch an AFL or an A-League game in one of the great stadiums, but was very up to, upset to see the AFL are doing their gather round in Adelaide this weekend and all three A-League Melbourne teams are on the road. Even the Melbourne Storm are playing away which means no sport on in Melbourne this weekend. This made me wonder about your thoughts on the A-League possibly having a magic or gather round. I don't mind that idea. The idea is good. I mean, it's um, if they did it right. I mean, the magic round that the NRL do is is fantastic. Um, I just don't know how it would be taken here. You know, if fans would... Well, didn't we have it? Do you remember ages ago we had the, the... I think it was for one season only. We had like five games in one Big day. Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday. That's right. what it was called. And we played them one after another. Boom, 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 boom. All televised okay. live. And I thought it went down really well, but they never repeated that experiment for some reason. I don't know why. Well, I, I don't even remember it ever happening, so couldn't have been that great. <laughs> you obviously weren't involved. <laughs> was I um, playing? Well, how long ago we talked? And I'll tell you what, Glenn, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that on the Amy Park pitch at the moment <laughs> oh. because uh, that wouldn't be good. And maybe, I mean, it, it is strange, to be fair, that all three A-League teams in Melbourne are away this weekend and mm. there's no AFL. When we've just had a weekend when Amy Park has been absolutely battered from pillar to post, but I guess that's because the codes don't necessarily communicate with each other. Why would they? They're in competition. Look, uh, Yeah, you're right. But I... I 
I don't know. I'd love the. I, I don't know. I'd love for for some sort of idea like that. Yeah. I think the idea is great. And and look, rugby league tried it and it worked out and it's just grown year on year. So I think if they came up with something like that, where would you where would you have it? I go back to my idea of having the cup final played in Canberra. Maybe that's now obsolete given the grand finals in Sydney. We're not going to go into that. Um, but that was my idea from ages ago. Have your cup final in Canberra and make it a big. We can play other A-League games around it, women's games, maybe the MPL, you know, uh, final series, something like that, an international, yeah, yeah, yeah. an Anzac uh, test between Australia and New Zealand in, in November, something like that. I think that would be really good in the national capital, you know, make it a celebration round, have history events and, you know, open up the Australian Museum to get Johnny Warren's artefacts out and all that sort of stuff. But all fell on deaf ears. Uh, but maybe it's too expensive and, you know, the state governments have got to bid for these events. And mm. I don't know. Anyway, I, th- I don't mind that idea, the magic or, or gather round. Um, this one from Mr. Cucumber again regarding Simon Spiel. What do you think of amateur up-and-coming writers writing opinion pieces, even if they're not proper journos? Is it welcome or should it only be official journos? Uh, no, all opinions are welcome. But obviously, if you're in the mainstream media and you're being paid to write, then you have a greater responsibility. Uh, and we all know that. So, you know, you've got to try and get it right. Uh, Nathan from Epping, a magic round is an easier sell than the grand final decision. Well, yeah, that's an opinion. Um, and obviously, that's what we're here for, to hear your opinions. Thanks as ever for all of them. Uh, we're going to go off to another break, I think. Yep. And on the other side of it, we'll wrap up the show with Football Asia and Paul Williams. Back soon. <laughs> It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, let's round out the show as usual with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you going, guys? Good, Very mate. good. Now, you uh, retweeted a story this morning from India that suggests Indian Super League giants Mohan Bagan, nicknamed the Mariners, are close to agreeing a deal to bring Jason Cummings to Kolkata. Is that true? Mm. Well, it's the rumor that's certainly doing the rounds. I saw it pop up about a week or so ago, and I didn't really give it too much credence because, if we're being honest, it would be a really odd career move for him at this point in yeah. time, you'd have to think, um, especially with his you know, national team aspirations. You've got a new World Cup cycle on the horizon, Asian Cup in about eight months' time. A move to India would seem sort of counter to all of that. So, But they seem to be increasingly confident of a move i don't know maybe his agent said we've got a deal from the mariners here for you and he's happy to sign and he's just confused as to which one it's going to be but it would uh yeah it'd certainly create um a lot of talk and a lot of chat back a lot of talk back if he does decide to to leave the a-league to to go to india at this stage Mm. of his career i still can't see it but you know watch this space i guess um, of course, they've got Dimi Petratos, Mohun Bagan, and they're going to be known as the Super Giants next season, which uh, I'm told is a tight with the Look No Club of the same name in cricket's Indian Premier League. Um, are there likely mm. to be more of those sorts of arrangements between the two sports? I wouldn't rule it out. There was, If you go back to the start of the Indian Super League, there was a, a a real sort of crossover between the Indian Premier League and Indian cricket and the ISL. You had Sachin Tendulkar was involved in the Kerala Blasters. Surav Ganguly was involved in the, the club in Kolkata that became ATK that now is Mohan Bagan as well. Uh, the, arguably the greatest cricketer of the la- of 
his generation, Virat Kohli, um, owns a, a minority 12% stake in FC Goa as well. So you've already seen some of the greats of Indian football invest their money and their time. Um, sorry, Indian cricket invest their money and time into to Indian football. So I wouldn't rule out this happening. Of course, as you said, the Mohan Bagan are now owned by the same corporation that own the, the Lucknow um T20 franchise. They also own T20 franchises around the world. Um, JSW Group own Bengaluru. They own T20 franchises around the world as well. So I wouldn't mind betting that in a country like India, where you know cricketers are gods and um, have got money to spend, that we might see some of these things um, fluctuate and and see some cricketers invest, or we see groups invest that own IPL franchises into football as as that becomes bigger as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Speaking of investments, the uh, the Italian press has reported that Jose Mourinho has been offered 120 million euros <laughs> to head to Saudi Arabia. Now, it's an absurd amount of money, but uh, we are seeing that a fair bit now, to be honest. I mean, it's unclear whether that's to coach the national team or a club side. But, you know, is this the modern version of, of what we we're seeing China uh, doing in Asia, throwing money at big names and just bringing whoever out there? We did see that with China. There was a little sort of joke going around that unnamed Chinese club was one of the best clubs in world football <laughs> because everyone was linked with an unnamed Chinese club, which is no doubt just the agents pushing the name China out there as a bit of a stalking horse in their negotiations. And now the fact that we've seen, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo go there, there's, you know, talks of, you know, uh, Messi, Benzema, Modric as well, then you're going to see Saudi Arabia thrown out there more and more as a stalking horse as well. It's going to be hard to decipher fact from fiction. Um, yeah, I might start a rumour that the global game is going to go to Saudi Arabia for $10 million as well. You just, <laughs> yeah, you we'll, take, go. we'll take we'll it. We'll go. We're taking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. It, it, as I said, it, it's really hard to know what is actually true and what is just agents pushing stuff out in the media. Um, at the risk of ending up with egg on my face, I'm going to say this one's more on the fiction side than fact. Okay. Um, in terms of the Saudi Pro League title race, uh, that seems to have turned in favour of Al Itihad, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and is Al Nasser team frustrated in their latest fixture? It's so unusual to see Cristiano Ronaldo frustrated, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's Itihad's to lose now. I'd say there's still seven games to go in the season. It's only a three point gap that they've got, but they've only lost one game so far this season. Um, they've only conceded eight goals in, in 23 matches. So they are in imperious form. It looks like it's just a clear race in two now. It looked like a four-horse race just a couple of weeks ago. But it's down to, to Itihad and Nasser now. Hilal have dropped off the pace, I think, as their attention turns to trying to retain the uh, the Champions League title. But they do play Al Nasser next week, which shapes as a massive um, or could have massive implications on the title race. And wouldn't Al Halal just love to deny their crosstown rivals a shot at the title and take some, take that three points off them, which could you know uh, permanently dent their title chances. So that'll be must watch next week. Looking at the J League, uh, another big win in the Yokohama derby for Kevin Musket's side. They beat uh, Yokohama FC five nil, uh, and another clean sheet for Mitch Langerak as well, who's now kept five clean sheets in seven for Nagoya. Mm. Yeah, he's doing what Mitch Langerak does and. Yeah. Um, defensively they look so sound Nagoya that their trouble has always been at the other end of the pitch and putting the ball into back of their net they signed Kasper Juncker um, from Arau this season that was supposed to help in that regard it has a little bit but they've still only scored eight goals in seven games and you think as the season drags on their struggles to convert 
opportunities into goals could um, impact them as they try to sustain a title challenge. But you're right about Muskie. That was an important win for them. They've probably haven't looked at their best this season and coming up against their crosstown rivals who hadn't won a game. Um, they were either right for the picking or it was a potential banana skin as well. And to put five past them will hopefully give them some confidence to kick on from here and sort of get back to the, the Marinos that we know from last season. Now over to Korea, <coughs> excuse me, where Ulsan maintained their 100% record. They defeated Suwon Blue Wings, which uh, was a result or more the league table actually that caught my eye because Suwon Blue Wings are bottom. What, what on earth has happened to them? They, I mean, we remember them playing in the Champions League uh, against Australian mm. sides on a regular basis, but they, they're yet to win this season. What's going on with them? It's staggering how far they've fallen. They were the standard bearers of Korean yeah. football in its early iteration, sort of early 2000s. They'd won the Champions League a couple of times. They were a powerhouse club in Korean football, but it's it's a sorry, sad tale of just Samsung basically pulling back their investment, um, a little bit of, I guess, corporate disinterest from Samsung and financial pressures through the financial crisis and trying to come out the other side of that. They had to slash budgets. They cut down heavily on football spending. And you're seeing the effects of that now out on the pitch, which is really sad to see for what was um, once a powerhouse club. FC Seoul have gone through the same thing with with their owners in the last couple of years. They've only just avoided relegation a couple of times now, but they look like they're coming out of it the other side now. Um, this season, they're actually looking really good. As I said, Ulsan are leading the way, but, but Seoul are in third. I think they've won four of their six games, and they had 45,000 in the stadium on the weekend, which is fantastic to see. I think most were there for the half show of a k-pop star but um it was still forty-five thousand, nonetheless and they had a big three nil win as well so hopefully some of those that were there decide to come back and keep supporting them on but yeah to see a crowd that big is always encouraging in domestic football now broski's ready with his best chinese pronunciation well, I've here gotta be careful don't worry. <laughs> just looking at, uh, at china i mean elkerson as we know him or a kesson Okay. Did I get it? <laughs> As he's Pretty known good. now in uh, in China, he's gone back to the Chinese Super League with Chengdu after a, a year back in Brazil. But obviously, it's a very different landscape to uh, to the one he left. Uh, incredibly different, yeah. And we we touched on earlier about the the Saudi money that's that's now pouring into football. I guess there's a a real life case study of how it can all go pear shaped if it's not built on solid foundations as well. And it's gone to Chengdu, which isn't traditionally a, a powerhouse of, of Chinese football. You look at when he was there and he was at Guangzhou and Shanghai, and it is a very different state of Chinese football. They're almost back to, to ground zero. But what I find interesting is, is that you go back six or seven years, there are a plethora of stars there. They've all left given what's happened in Chinese football, but two of them still remain. Oscar and Marouane Fellaini are still there playing for Shanghai Port and Shandong, respectively, which, given how many have left for obvious reasons, I just find staggering that they're uh, that they're still there. But um, I guess they've got good contracts that they want to uh, want to stay uh, stay around for. But yeah, despite uh, everything that's gone on, they um, they stick fat. Uh, final one, Paolo. Um, tribute to Son Hyung Min. Give us your your thoughts. The first Asian player to score a hundred goals in the English Premier League. He's been a heck of an ambassador, not just for South Korea, but for Asian football generally. Yeah, absolutely. He has been a phenomenon and he is absolutely in the, you know, calculations and the discussions now of, you know, Asia's best ever player. There's, you know, players like Ali Dai or um, 
uh, Nakata in there as well, Hidetoshi Nakata, Shinji Ono's in the discussion as well. But given what he's achieved over a lengthy period of time, the consistency and the longevity of what he's been able to achieve puts him right at the very top. And let's not forget, go back, it's probably a decade or so now, but he was challenging Robbie Cruz for a spot in that Leverkusen side when he was still in the Bundesliga. They were kind of chopping and changing as to whether they went with Son, whether they went with Robbie Cruz. And you just look at where Son's gone from there and he's just become an absolute phenomenon. And he spoke during the week about wanting to inspire Asian players to prove to them that it can be done. You can reach, you know, the top of, you know, international world football and, and perform on that level if you believe in yourself. So um, he set a very high bar now and it's a, a challenge that's been laid down to everyone else now coming after him to try and um, try and meet that. Good on you, Paolo. We'll speak to you next week, mate. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, guys. And that's us for another show. Uh, Broski, where are you off to this weekend? Uh, well, we got round ball rules, me and you tomorrow. Oh, yes. And then uh, there's a couple of big games. I've got two, actually, this weekend. Right. Mariners City yeah. uh, and Sydney Perth. Excellent. Two yeah. big games. Um, our winners tonight, Glenn from Roseville. You get the tickets for your point about the gather round. Get yourself out to a game. Maybe not in Melbourne this weekend. And uh, Mr. Cucumber wins the T-shirt for his suggestion about the MLS against the A-League men friendlies. See you next week on The Global Game. Thanks for listening.